John chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. So this last summer, um, my kids got obsessed with the movie Aladdin. Uh, And when I say obsessed, I mean like, I think they were watching it twice a day. And I I don't want to say which of these kids was the one that was like the one begging to watch it over and over again. But I will say that the one that was initiating it is the only one I have in high school. I won't tell you which one that is. But uh, I'm not exaggerating. It was like for sure once a day, possibly twice a day. And so we watched it over and over and over again. We sang the songs. We watched the cartoon version, the real version, uh, and any other version that was out there. There's only two versions. Um, Something that was interesting to me is the, the, the sort of the bad guy, Jafar, and the reason why Jafar is interesting to me in that movie is because when we first meet Jafar, he is the second most powerful person in the entire land. And what is the thing that Jafar, that kind of like motivates Jafar to be the bad guy? He's not like ultimately after a girl. He's not like ultimately after praise. What motivates Jafar, the thing that Jafar wants most of all is more power, even though he starts out as arguably the second most powerful person in all of the land. And if you think about it, towards the end of the movie, this is the part that's fascinating to me, towards the end of the movie, the good guy, Aladdin, defeats Jafar, not by taking away what he wants most, rather by giving him the desires of his heart. If you guys remember, at the end of the movie, uh, Jafar becomes, like he uses, you know, the, the wizard. If you've never seen this movie, you're like, what on earth? But it was in the 90s. So if you've never seen it, where have you been? Uh, at the end of the movie, Jafar like uses his wish to become a sultan, right? And then he uses his second wish to become the most powerful wizard. And then Aladdin tricks him. He's like, you're still not, not the most powerful person ever. The genie is. And so for his third and final wish, what does he do? He wishes to be as powerful as the genie, all powerful to control everything. And what he does not realize is that that power comes with enslavement. And so just as he gets it all, the chains lock him up and he's enslaved for all of eternity. What happened? The genie, or I'm sorry, Jafar was enslaved by his desires. You could say he was handed over to his desires, which is exactly what Roman 1 says about us. And so the point here is I think in a way there's a Jafar in all of us. We each have misguided desires that if not checked, if not submitted to, if not removed, will have the power to enslave us. And these misguided desires, the scriptures have a word for it. It's called sin. But Jesus, in John chapter 8, 
offers true spiritual freedom. He shows us how we can be free from these desires. And that's what we're going to study today. There are three things that we're going to discover about what it means to be free. And the first thing is this. It's that freedom is not about having no shepherd, but about having the right shepherd. Notice how people respond to Jesus's offer of freedom in verse 33. They say to him, he says, basically, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In verse 33, the people respond, we're descendants of Abraham. They answered him. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Now, uh, that's confusing to some of us, maybe, if we don't know where they're going with here. And what we have to understand is a biblical background of the Abrahamic covenant. You see, many years before, God goes to Abraham not because Abraham's special. He's not like some king. He's basically like this nomadic person who's got a couple of sheep and some cows, right? Like he's like a farmer in Tulare, California. I've been there. That's what I imagine when I think of Abraham. No offense to anybody who's from Tulare, California, but maybe some offense. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, Jesus goes to this non-impressive person and he, Jesus, God goes to this not very impressive person and he makes this incredible covenant with him. He says that your descendants will become a great nation. And from Abraham comes Isaac and from Isaac, Jacob, and from Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel and from the 12 tribes of Israel, David. And now those 12 tribes are in the land that God promised Abraham. They are, they are in Jerusalem. And so, in other words, for Jesus to be like, you are not truly free, they rely ultimately on their nationalistic and religious pride. They're like, what are you talking about? We are Abraham's offspring. We live in God's nation. How can you possibly say, I'm not free? They're offended at the reality that they could possibly still be enslaved in some way. And Jesus responds, yeah, you're right. You're Abraham's offspring, I'll give you that. But you're still a slave. And here's the verse that's like the real punch in the gut. Verse 34 says, Jesus responds, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. In order for us to understand freedom, I think we have to, we have to define it. Because think about it, like freedom is held in such high regard in our nation. Like we all desire freedom. We all fight for freedom. We hold up flags to celebrate our freedom, right? Like we, we've got days of the year that, that celebrate nothing else but freedom. We want free speech, free press, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, uh, you know, free little food bites at Costco. Amen. I lost my grandma one time at Costco and I like found she was just basically bouncing from one person to another getting food. So here's the thing. We fight for it. We die for it. We celebrate it. Have we ever actually stopped and defined it? Think about it. 
can you define what freedom is? A National Geographic video went around 22 different Western countries, and they asked everybody to define freedom. And the responses varied, but there was also a common thing. Here's what we heard. A girl in Italy says that freedom is liberating yourself from other people's expectations. A young boy in Hong Kong says freedom is doing what your heart wants. A girl in France says that freedom is freedom of expression, thought, and action. And probably my favorite one is a guy in Serbia says that freedom would be that he could run the streets naked. Like, not the neighbor you want to live by, you know what I mean? Kids are like, can I go outside? It's like, oh, Bob's on a jog again. We're, we're going to watch a movie today. Bob comes back, he's like, I just did five miles. Looks like he did ten. Anyways. <laughs> These are the things I don't say at other churches, by the way. Here's the summary. If you could summarize what we hear from the 22 different countries, what is the myth? What is freedom? It is this, is that freedom is having no master. But what we learn, both through observing human nature, nature, but also into God's word, is that we are made to worship. Another way of saying that is that we are made to follow. And what we follow, we eventually submit to. And what we submit to, we eventually worship. We are always following something. We are always worshiping something. We are always bowing the knee in obedience to something. Why? Because God ultimately made us to follow, to bow, to worship him. Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. In other words, the question isn't if you are following someone, if you are bowing your knee to someone or something, the question is what are you following? What has your loyalties, your worships, And we cannot be like the people of John 8 when Jesus confronts us with this reality. We cannot be like, bro, I'm an American. I'm an American Christian. I said a prayer 15 years ago, like I'm not a slave to anything. We have to hear what Jesus is saying. I have this... uh, couple, like two years ago, I had a friend who showed up at the gym with me and he had a shirt on that said, not a sheep. And I was like, what does that mean? Uh, and he told me, and like, I didn't necessarily disagree with him. I didn't disagree with him at all, actually. Um, but I did, I was like, it's kind of ironic though, because everyone's a sheep. You're a sheep, dude. You just have a different shepherd. So like the shirt should say different shepherd, which I recognize doesn't hit as hard when you're at the gym, but it would be more honest because we're, we're all sheep. The question is, who's your shepherd? You see, the first step in freeing ourselves from the enslaving, reigning power of sin is realizing that we are, in fact, prone to worship anything but God. Here's how David Foster Wallace says it. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they, are the tap, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. 
Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will never, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. What's wild to me about this is that for anybody who doesn't know, David Foster Wallace is not a Christian, but he's making, it's like God's giving him this common grace of understanding about how the human heart, the condition of our lives, he's realizing that we worship That is what we do. It dictates our lives. And the thing is, the enslaving, reigning power of sin will control you. It will disrupt your relationships and eventually destroy you. And it's so interesting to me because often when you talk about, like, when you hear from, you know, moralists or the religious elites, they often present sin as, as like simply like cosmic crime. And it's true that our sin is primarily a sin against God, but it's not arbitrary. In this case, like Jesus is talking about sin almost like a drug addiction, right? Because, you know, like you guys know this, like my, my mom struggled with, by the grace of God, she is sober now, but she struggled with drug addiction my entire childhood. And any of you who have ever witnessed a loved one or a friend struggle with drug addiction, you know what I'm talking about. You see their lives just like slowly unwind. Their skin gets thin, they lose their hair, their teeth fall out, their relationships are being destru- destroyed. And all the while, they just want more and more, and more, and more. They are enslaved to the addiction. You see, what drugs are to the body, sin is to the soul. The myth in the West is that to be free is to have no master. But the truth is that freedom comes when you have the right master. Now, someone, a non-Christian in the room might be like, I don't know, man, like Christianity sounds pretty restrictive. How can you call that kind of lifestyle free? I'm glad you asked someone. That brings us to our second point, which is that freedom is not doing whatever you want to do, but doing what you were meant to do. Do you guys realize that nobody is more interested in your joy than God. Like the chief joy officer of your life is actually not you. It is God, the one that created you, the one that knows what will bring you true everlasting joy. But we get it all mixed up because we get distracted by our desires. And what's interesting is that like objective observations affirm that God's design for our lives is that he desires our joy. A National Health and Society survey, just as one example, a National Health and Society survey conducted a survey, non-Christian, and Christians married 
regular attending Christians reported the highest level of satisfaction when it came to intimacy. And what was interesting is that, do you know who reported the lowest levels? Single people who were sexually active. That doesn't seem like the cultural narrative when you look out there, right? As a matter of fact, in in, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin's book, Confronting Christianity, she has an entire chapter dedicated to all these objective observations. And she concludes at the end of this, she says that Christianity appears to be more optimistic, or people who are faithful followers of Jesus are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have greater purpose in life, and are less likely to divorce and are more self-controlled. She essentially concludes that Christianity isn't a buzzkill, rather a miracle drug. And so, yeah, like we are held captive. I should say like this, we are not held captive against our desires, but by our desires. And God's commands are not rules to rob us of our joy, but rather an invitation to live joy-filled lives. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it in The Weight of Glory. He says it like this. I know you guys have heard this quote before, but oh well. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I, I love what Jesus offers us as a remedy for the distraction of our desires, for the distraction of like, because even as, as we pursue the desires of our heart, which are often fleeting, we tend to get ourselves caught up in sin, something that we hide from. And God invites us to break free from like the hiding. In 831, here's what he says. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Another verse, another translation takes that word continue and it translates it into abides. If you abide in my word. You see, God wants us to abide, to continue in his love and his covenant, and understanding his laws and his ways for our lives. And abiding takes time. And I, man, like, let me just, actually, you ask yourself, do you abide in the word of God? Do you continue in the word of God? And again, this isn't some arbitrary law that the Lord is putting on you. What he's doing is is inviting us into relationship. And imagine, like, we can't have a relationship with God if, honestly, if, like, this moment in your week is the only moment you spend in the Word of God. Can you imagine if any other human relationship was like that? Can you imagine having a father who was like, hey, listen, I'm way too busy for you, but I'll tell you what, Sunday at 4 o'clock, from 4 to 5.30, I'm going to give you an hour and a half of my time. 
and you're going to tell me whatever you want to know or whatever you want me to know about you. I'll ask you a couple of questions, but at 5.30, you're gone, and I'm moving on with my life. Does that sound relational? Does that sound like abiding? Does that sound like continuing? See, what the Lord is doing is he's inviting us into relationally abiding in him, of continuing in our understanding of who our heavenly Father is. And the problem for us is that we are distracted. We tend to abide in like our phones, abide in like whatever else is out there. It almost is like we abide in anything but our Lord and Savior. And of course, when we do that, we get stuck in our sins. What directs your heart? Who dictates your moods? Where do you run to? Where do you flee when you are in need of grace? Do you hide or do you run to the cross? That brings us to our last point, which is that true freedom is found only in Christ. Verse 35 and 36. A slave does not remain in the house forever. But a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. He, he like, Jesus just is not messing around here, man. He says you're either a slave to sin or you're a son of God. Like, I know our culture likes to talk in binaries, you know what I mean? There's like a scale, but like in this case, it's like you're a slave or you're a son. There's no in-between. There's no other option. Sin is graceless and cruel. It's a slave master. It will take more and more and leave you undone. But God is a gracious father who loves, who forgives, who comforts, who heals. You know, at the uh, end of the Aladdin movie, as you remember, Aladdin like defeats the bad guy and he's got one final wish. Uh, and he's no longer a prince. So, you know, he's got a choice. Like he can, he can wish for himself to be a prince again, which will then mean he inherits the kingdom and marries the woman of his dreams. But at the end of the movie, he also has this friend, the genie. And what does Aladdin do? Aladdin uses his final wish to set his friend free. He gives up his throne he gives up his relationship with the woman of his dreams. Can you imagine? Think about it. Can you imagine somebody having that kind of commitment to you to give up everything they had, all that they deserved, so that you would be set free? And don't you see? That is what Christ has done for us. He laid down his throne. He stepped into human history. He experienced poverty, sickness, condemnation, and ultimately, the creator was enslaved by his own creation. Why? So that you and I would go from slaves to sons and daughters so that you and I could be free from our enslaving, reigning power.
power of sin. Man, if you're like, what do I, what do I need to do? What can I do to kill this sin in my life? Look to Jesus and see that he has already done it for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.